Jackson's Art Supplies is more than just an art supplier. They have a blog, which is an invaluable resource for artists. I've referred to it countless times and I often send my students there. One example I send people to often is an extensive guide to watercolour paper, demystifying all of the terms and helping you work out what you should be looking for and what's going to be the best paper for you. Visit Jackson's blog at jacksonsart.com forward slash blog and don't forget to sign up to their newsletter for regular updates. Hi, I'm Peter Keegan. And I'm Tom Shepherd. And welcome to Ask an Artist, the podcast designed for working artists and makers, people just like us, who are looking for tips and advice, ideas and strategies for not only making, but selling their work too. Covering a range of topics from social media to approaching galleries, interviewing fellow artists and industry experts, Ask an Artist podcast is here to keep you company in your studio and to help you on your artistic journey. In today's episode, we're delighted to be talking to another member of the Parker Harris team, Maureen Costello. And Maureen studied an MA in art history and took a minor in arts management. And Maureen joined Parker Harris as communications officer several years ago before becoming a partner. And now she is the head of communications. And we're delighted to talk to her today and pick her brain specifically about online marketing for artists. Maureen, hello and welcome to the podcast. Hi guys, I'm really excited. Amazing, thanks so much for joining us. So I think the, the obvious place to start as always, and I know we're gonna get stuck into the art marketing, but it's just a little bit of background about who you are and how you got to where you're at. Of course, so my name is Maureen. I am half French, half American, and I grew up in Paris. I've been working in the UK in the art world for four years now. So if you think my accent is a bit funny and you can't place it, then that's why. <laughs> I grew up near Paris, France, where I studied art history in the École du Louvre. So the École du Louvre is, as its name might indicate to a French speaker, the School of the Louvre. So not unlike the Courtaulds in the UK, it's in the Louvre Museum, which makes it, in my mind, the most wonderful place to study art possibly in the world. So yeah, that's where I studied. And uh, today I am a mentor for artists and I handle the communications and marketing for a number of art prizes, artists, I help galleries. So yeah, that's a little bit about what I do. So just a little bit more about you, Marie, before we dive in. So what what specifically did you study at the Louvre? Like, um, was it a practical kind of approach or was it more theoretical? So the École du Louvre is a very specific type of curriculum where you have a three-year bachelor's which sees the entirety of art history from, you know, archaeology and antiquity to medieval times to contemporary art. So it's very full on. And then after that, you have several MAs. So as you said, I did mine in art history with some arts management and museum studies in there. And for the nerds out there who want to get really, really niche, um, I wrote... I specialize in um, animal art, well, at least at the time. And so I wrote my dissertation on animal sculpture in the 19th century. 
So, um, yeah, that's my little, specific. yeah, no, that's my little, um, <laughs> uh, speciality, you know, whenever there's great animal art, then count me in. So you're, you're studying around some of arguably the greatest masterpieces of all, you know, the Mona Lisa, the, the Venus de Milo. Is that right? You're sort of studying and walking around these masterpieces as your inspiration every day. Yeah. So half of the classes in the Ecole du Louvre are, you know, you have a teacher with a PowerPoint and images behind them, but the other half is physically happening in museums. So we were seeing, you know, incredible artworks every day and also seeing them in the flesh. And we were taught by museum curators. So being in the presence of works and looking after collections physically was also really important. That's amazing. That must be so inspiring and, and dare I say, a little bit intimidating sometimes as well. <laughs> Some of that great artwork there on the walls. Oh, my God. Yeah. So your love of art. I mean, you must have been an artistic person, you know, from scratch. How did that then feed itself into taking it to a professional level and then in terms of marketing and that side of things? Yes, I think that's where my skill set becomes quite unique. So you know i've as you say i've i've always been completely in love with art and i think that's the case for most of us where you know if we had any other option and if our heart and soul didn't take us to this world then we'd probably be in finance or accounting or do something really uh, socially and you know socially acceptable and and responsible like our parents wanted us to <laughs> But here we are. So, yeah, I, I studied art history, but I also, you know, was, it seems quite good at writing and quite good at getting my own thing going online. So during my studies, I, for instance, I wrote a blog, which was called History of Art Daily. I also shared works by contemporary artists. So I grew this big following of, you know, 100,000 something people. And I really developed that skill set of how to communicate about art. And what was really important to me as well is communicating not only to people who are already into it, but to the people who might say, oh, I know nothing about, I know nothing about this, or mm. I don't know where to start. That was always really important to me is, is it, you know, all my friends who weren't spending years of their lives on, you know, on the benches of a class to um, learn art history. I didn't want other people to feel like they needed all that academic baggage to just look at a painting and feel like they belonged in a museum. Making it more more accessible to people ultimately, yeah. which is what it should be. So when, when you kind of started studying, did you have an end goal in mind or were you literally just pursuing something that you loved and then you, it kind of naturally evolved into something? Yeah, I think the goalpost shifted with time, you know. Uh, I think, you know, I think five-year-old me really wanted to be some kind of painting detective and figured out, oh, that's not a real job. So <laughs> <laughs> it should be. That's a great I know, title. it sounds exciting, doesn't it? I knew it was going to involve communicating in some way because communicating about art and sharing my passion with other people was really important to me. I knew it had to involve art in some way. And I also knew it probably meant being hands-on on a variety of projects. 
And so actually when I came across the a, a job ad at the time for the role at Parker Harris, it just sounded absolutely perfect. And I think part of the reason why is because Parker Harris is quite unique, actually. It's an arts consultancy that does a lot of different things. So that's, you know, delivering artworks for corporate or public clients. It's mentoring artists, but it's also, you know, our day-to-day jobs are handling a variety of projects like art prizes, open art exhibitions. And so I realized that I could get, I could really get my hands dirty, you know, Um, and work on a, a huge range of different projects, but also because we're a small team, have a huge amount of responsibility early on in my career. And that was a really, really exciting thing. So yeah, that's where the magic happened. That's awesome. So how, how quickly from when you graduated, for example, to, to when you started working for Parker Harris, is it one of the first things you did in your career, inverted commas? Yeah, so while I was studying, you know, anybody who studied an MA knows that it's it's quite a long process. So while I was doing that, I did, you know, lots of different jobs and side hustles. So I worked in galleries. I uh, wrote for a number of online publications, you know, again, articles about art history or contemporary art that were really trying to make it accessible to everybody. And I also worked for three years in a student art consultancy where, you know, very basically I was handling a lot of projects from working with charities and nonprofits to working with small businesses to bring workshops or exhibitions or research projects to life. So I had all that baggage of experience and also, you know, my little personal blogging Instagram side hustles. So, yeah, I basically wrote a very long and interesting dissertation to about five people in the world. And then, uh, and then I graduated and then I started at communications officer at Parker Harris for a year. And then Emma Parker and Penny Harris, who are the co-founders, um, asked me if I would be interested in, you know, furthering my relationship with them, which... Uh, let me tell you, was a huge honor because they're immensely experienced um, ladies with 35 plus years in the arts. So the fact that they thought that little old me knew something about what I was doing. And they're also they're also just great people to work with. So, um, of course, I stayed. <laughs> and yeah, we're, we're four years later. We're still happily together and have no intention of stopping. So one thing we love to do on this podcast is, you know, to define some terms, not just for us, but for everyone else listening. So you are, you know, your head of communications. Now, in layman's terms, what is that? What does that mean, head of communications? What do you do specifically for the creative people that uh, you're working with, us artists? You know, what is, what is PR? Is PR different from marketing? Can you help us sort of identify what those different words mean and then what they mean to you in your job? Oh, absolutely. And in particular, I think I'm not extremely fond of the words PR. Uh, You know, it can sound a bit swanky and vague, but it is what it is. So PR stands for public relations, which is, as its name indicates, 
anything where you're in touch with the public that an institution or a business deals with. So on a very small scale for us, it can be the artists that we mentor or the artists that take part in our open exhibitions. It's also obviously our clients who are who range from, you know, fine art brands to big corporate sponsors to really small, lovely local nonprofits. And on a larger scale, it can be anybody who comes to one of our exhibitions or anybody who sees one of our social media posts. And all of a sudden now you're talking, you know, not a hundred artists, but hundreds of thousands of strangers on the internet. And it can also be somebody who walks past a poster in front of a venue where we have an exhibition. So that's on a broad sense what public relations mean. Now, I also do press. So press means typically I'm writing a press release, I'm, I'm communicating with journalists, I'm inviting some editors and some magazines to our private views, and then online marketing, which is all the social media for Parker Harris, but also I help artists with their own social media, as well as handling social media for some art prizes or some fine art brands. And yeah, then you also have the websites dealing with partner institutions who we might have projects in common with so they can share on their own website and press. So that's a very brief overview of what my job is, really. That sounds like a heck of a lot. I mean, are you, are you sort of juggling a lot of those projects sort of ongoing or do you, are you have a structured week where, you know, on day one, you will do more social media, day two, you'll do more uh, press or is it a lot more organic and, uh, according to the projects that you're currently involved with? I'd say it's more fitting to the description of there's loads of projects and you have to adapt. So, you know, we have particularly busy times. So for instance, the autumn for us is when a lot of our big shows open in London. Um, so we're all hands on deck then. If you, if you want to imagine a typical day, you know, some of it is hosting a private view and meeting artists and putting your brightest lipstick and your nicest heels on. But most of it is a lot less glamorous than that <laughs> and is, is simply spent in front of a computer, you know, as I said, emailing journalists or writing social media posts or speaking to my team to brief them on what needs to be do done for the week, seeing if anybody needs help on that. You know, that's sort of my day-to-day -day job, if that makes sense. But this day-to-day -day role also informs another part, which is mentoring artists. So, I mentor artists one-to-one -one on their social media or their website. So we'll look at it together. They can ask me questions. You know, we do a little audits basically. And then I give them best practices and tips on how to improve it specifically tailored to their practice and their goals. And, you know, in 2020, 2021, we started doing a lot more of it, a lot more of it online. And we realized that, you know, there was there was a big need for it, basically. So um, so we also recently started a mentoring program 
called the Art Ladder, which is monthly where we have sessions with a group of artists. Um, and that's been super rewarding and a lot of fun. No two days are alike, other than it usually involves me sitting in front of a computer and sometimes talking to a large group of artists over Zoom. It's nice that you have, it's obviously like you're in this interesting spot in the middle where you're you are dealing with all sorts of different types of organizations uh, and people and businesses but you're also directly hands-on with the artists as well and directly working with them so it sounds like a really fascinating and quite a unique role in that kind of sense. Yeah well if you ask me I have the best job in the world. <laughs> but... Yeah <laughs> it, do, it does sound like the perfect job based on what you've said about your background mm. and where your interests lie and what you clearly love doing which is communicating but also helping artists. I it sounds like it literally could be a better role for you, basically. Yeah, I think I think so. And it, to be honest with you, what actually makes my days, my weeks and my life is meeting the artists. And whenever we have an event and people either come up to me in person or even if they send a message on social media or an email and say, I watched this session, I applied your tip and... It was so helpful. And now, you know, I'm based in the UK and somebody just bought one of my works and it's off to his new home in Australia. I, it's just, it's the most rewarding thing, honestly, to be helping artists do more of what they love, to share it with people who will cherish it. Well, I'd love to pick your brains a bit further about what you think some of us artists should be doing to sort of strengthen their marketing. But before we do, we're going to take a short break and brush up on some of our very favourite art materials. I have been a huge fan of Rosemary and Co brushes for many years, initially as an oil and acrylic painter, and there's a good reason they're world renowned. But nowadays I am very much a watercolourist and getting stuck into using their range of brushes specifically designed for the uniqueness of this medium it's kind of like discovering Rosemary & Co. all over again. The range of brushes for watercolourists is broad in style with something for everyone, however you like to work. And there's a wide range of materials for the hairs from traditional right through to extremely good synthetic versions. The collections are all thoughtfully put together with care and attention to those all-important little details and, of course, beautifully handmade here in the UK. Okay. So a good brush doesn't immediately make you a better painter. But wow, having the proper tools for the job makes painting not only a lot easier, but a lot more enjoyable, which is what it's all about, right? And to be totally honest, with a Rosemary & Co brush in my hand, I at least feel like a little bit of a better painter. To see the full range and to order a free catalogue available worldwide, please visit rosemaryandco.com. And welcome back to Ask an Artist podcast with me, Peter Keegan. And me, Tom Shepard. And today's special guest, Maureen Costello, who's Head of Communications at Parker Harris. So, Maureen, we've talked um, about some of the definitions of what marketing and what PR is, but why is this relevant to us artists? Now, we're busy people, us artists. We're busy making what we're doing. We're creating, we're producing, and then, of course, we're trying to then sell our work as well. Is marketing a relevant part of that creative process or the sales process for working artists? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I think it's really important for me to say that I know you don't want to be on social media. I know, <laughs> I know that you 
don't want to be spending hours agonizing over how to send an email newsletter. As artists, you want to be in the studio. You want to be painting or creating new sculptures or prints. So for me, the really important thing is helping artists find effective ways to use these tools, which are immensely helpful if you know how to use them, and use them effectively to reach your goals. So that's the magic point. So to go back to your question, which is, why is marketing relevant to artists? I personally think it always has been and it always will be in the sense that, you know, a brand isn't only something that's relevant to a big corporation. A brand is essentially what people might remember about you or what people might say about you to a friend. So whether you want it or not, people are going to create this image or this brand of you. And what you can do through your online marketing is take control of that process, which is going to happen, and also take control of it in a way where you might reach new people and you might reach those people who are going to love your work and be open to supporting it. So you're saying that, you know, I, I spoke to a lot of artists and sometimes they feel like that they don't have a brand and, and they don't want that. But are you saying by nature, just of them existing and being an artist and being out there in the public realm, they have a brand, whether they like it or not, just in themselves and in the work they're putting on show? Yeah. And if you think about some of the greatest artists of the last century, then you might think of Picasso, you might think of Andy Warhol, you might think of Lee Krasner. All of these people, and this is only to name a few, have really strong brands. So for artists, I think what's really challenging is several things. The first is, as you said, you've got lots on your plate, you want to be creating work, you have a bunch of admin that's related to it, and like all of us, you have complicated, messy lives and families that you also need to deal with. So when the car breaks down or the, or the dog needs to go on a walk, then the last thing on your mind sometimes is, oh, I need to post on Instagram so somebody might buy my work. So that's the one thing. And then the other thing I think is many artists choose this wonderful but grueling path because your way of expressing is visually. So I completely understand that some people say to me, well, Maureen, if I wanted to write, I would have been a writer. I'm yeah. not. You know? So the thing about online marketing in the art world is three years ago, a lot of people considered it a nice to have right? Oh, when I have time or, oh, if the museum has budget, we'll do social media. And then 2020 happened and we weren't able to go to see exhibitions in the flesh the way we were able to before. And mm. suddenly a lot of people woke up to the fact that actually it was a must have. Mm. So for us, we, you know, we had to, we had to really adapt. So we were really lucky in the fact that we already had, you know, a strong presence online and we had the skill set to go virtual with some of our projects. 
but we had to adapt and offer a much stronger and much more comprehensive online offering. And suddenly we weren't only, you know, through our selling exhibitions, we weren't only selling artworks to people in the UK, but there were people in the US or there were people Mm. um, all around the world. And I think for artists, the same thing happens is you suddenly realize that your world expands. Mm. Now, don't get me wrong. It does not replace the importance of seeing art in the flesh. And actually many artists will find that it's still a lot easier if your goal is to sell original art. Now it's not the only thing you can do to support your practice. And I'm sure we'll get into that. It's still easier to sell an artwork once people have seen it in the flesh. And so then it's about thinking, okay, well, I'm not going to have an, a solo exhibition every month. <laughs> that sounds nice in theory, but it would be mm-hmm. it would be completely unrealistic. Sounds like practice. a stressful nightmare to me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> so in between things that I'm doing in person, I can use my online marketing to keep in touch with people and keep having touch points. It's really important not to be out of sight and out of mind of your supporters and your collectors. And also, there will be people on the other side of the world who love the specific type of art that you're making and want to support it. So those are a few of the reasons why I think artists should definitely consider it and and hopefully find ways to incorporate it in their practices so it doesn't take time away from it, but rather it helps them share their work with the world and fits within their creative practice. Yeah, I think that's perfectly put because it's trying to make it fit into your life and your practice in a way that is, and we've spoken about this before, haven't we, Peter, where it's sustainable so that you can Mm. keep it up. You know, that's one of the critical things here. I think also um, you used to, to pick out a few things you mentioned there, you spoke about this kind of expansion and growth and how you, as artists, we kind of really need to jump on board with that. And I know from personal experience and also from chatting to many other artists, like the the amount of options and opportunities or ways of marketing yourself are so huge that it's completely overwhelming. And I think you also used the word clarity earlier on. And so how important is it that artists gain some sort of clarity over what they're trying to achieve with their marketing, with their online presence? And then have you got any tips for how artists could maybe go about gaining that clarity as to what direction they need to go in? Okay, so this is a really big one. And this is, you know, one of the things that I'm adamant about is you do not need to be on everything And you should not be on everything because you wouldn't have time to be in your studio. And that's the most important thing. So as you said, the the first thing is having clarity on your brand and your audience, how those two interact and what's what's the way in which your audience can connect with you? So there's several things we need to unpack here. One of the big things 
that I help artists with is figuring out this very thing is how do others perceive me and what's the unique corner of the art world that is mine. One of the exercises I have people do and which listeners might like to do is ask themselves four questions, which can seem really basic, but take a moment to think about them and then take a moment to reflect about whether all of these things come across on your website and on your various, you know, Instagram, newsletter, etc. So the first question to ask yourself is, who am I as a person? So in my case, I'm Marine. I'm a French-American lady working in the UK in the art world. And I'm passionate about animals and art, for instance. The second one is, who am I as an artist? So this might be, I'm a landscape painter, or I'm a portrait painter, or I'm a sculptor, or I'm a ceramicist. Try and be precise here in terms of what are your subjects of predilection? Are there any themes in particular that you deal with? And try and avoid art speak. So try and use really specific terms. So for instance, when I go to an artist's website and it says... I'm a multidisciplinary artist dealing with the theme of identity and belonging. And I represent people, place, and time. This happens quite often, and I'm not pointing the finger out of blame if you do this. But I'm like, okay, so so what is it that you do? I still don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So be specific with people. And actually, it's the generous thing to use terms that somebody who doesn't have an art degree or hasn't, doesn't have mm. a degree at all, because that's not mandatory, can mm. understand. If somebody needs a PhD in contemporary art to understand, then listen, that's cool, but you are leaving 99% of people out of it. So that's the second question. The third question is, what do you sell? And that I know I, I use the term selling and that can sound dirty, but you know, how how can people interact with your practice in a way where they're putting their money where their mouth is and and really supporting you? Mm. So and I know Peter and Tom, you guys both have sort of a range of ways that people can interact with you. And that's really great because you know, somebody who's, say, in their 50s, who works in finance and who has an amount of disposable income might be able to commission an original portrait or might be able to buy a large scale landscape painting. But, you know, somebody who's from a different background or a different point in life, they might not be able to do that. However, they might like to attend a workshop or they might be able to purchase a print So actually having a range of things allows you to connect with different audiences and allow them to bring a bit of your beautiful work into their lives, but also give you a little something back in return. Think about, okay, well, actually, who's following me? Are they people who want and can afford original art? Or are they people who might buy tickets to a workshop, buy 
um, some goodies, you know, buy, if they want to buy a tote bag with your amazing illustrations on them, let mm. them. <laughs> and then the fourth one, which is not the, the easiest, but will be really critical to bring it all together is what value does my work provide? And here it might be talking to other people that's helpful and it doesn't have to be all high and mighty, right? It's what do people get from it? Do people get a sense of calm? Does your work help them connect with nature or does it remind them of some events in their lives? Do your workshops help fellow artists learn a technique that you've mastered or actually do they help people who've not been taught art at all to express themselves through abstract painting? Mm. Yeah, I love those four questions. I, I'm I'm thinking them through as I'm as you're saying them, and and I'm immediately coming up with ideas that I things I could do better. Those are such, such great questions. Um, can I just interject very quickly? And so this is something I want to say that I don't feel will be relevant to all of the listeners necessarily, but it's certainly something I experienced particularly kind of earlier on in my career. Is this sense of feeling that I almost like need to cater to everyone with my art and that I shouldn't be niching down or, or cutting people out. And actually what you're talking about is there's actually a benefit to being a little bit more clear. And as I love the way you described it, finding your unique corner of the art world. So what are the benefits of actually being maybe a little bit true to yourself and, and focusing more closely on what it is that you actually love doing rather than trying to please everyone? Yeah, I mean, when you think about brands, most brands don't aim at everybody. So that doesn't mean discriminate and say you have to look like this or be a certain age to like my work. It's more about your work in itself. And you, and this takes time, you know, it's not an easy exercise, but you feeling in a place where you're making work that you really love and you it might be a certain medium or it might be a certain style or it might be a certain subject and helping your people find you so i also know that for artists this is a particularly tough one because all artists like to experiment that's that's the wonderful part of the creative process. So it's, it's then about curating within what you're doing in the studio, what you might share at a point in time so that you're able to take the people on the journey with you. I think that's really important. So, you know, I'd be, I'd be really surprised if all of a sudden I saw Peter posting an abstract pop art sculptor, you know, because it's not what he does. Um, so, but by all means, you know, uh, don't let me, don't let me stop you if that's what you want to do, but you might just try and take your audience on board with you. So, letting them know, hey, this is a direction I'm taking, showing a bit of the work in progress, maybe doing a little video in the studio, 30 seconds, 
explaining this new direction, but it's, it's, it's really important to find a place where you're confident enough in your practice to take people along on the journey with you. And I guess there's a, there's a difference between, like you're saying, like as a creative, don't hamper yourself with what you create. But when it comes to marketing, there are benefits to, as you said, like cur- curating the way that you market. And there maybe you need, even if you're doing various different things, you need to be a little bit more focused with your marketing, at least for, say, a period of time or revolving around a certain project or at this period in your career, you need a little bit more focus and clarity about what it is you're presenting to the public yeah basically. you know I mean to go back to your question about niching down because I do really want to speak to that it there is power in being really clear about what your niche is and for anybody who isn't uh, familiar with that term it's simply it would be a marketing term for an area of a market or a product category in which you live. So for you as an artist, it's which part of art making am I in? So are you making ceramics? Are you making sculptures? Are you making paintings? And then more specifically to that, within that category, do you do portraits? Do you do landscapes? Do you do something completely surrealist and wonky? Um, and, you know, actually I have, I do have this conversation really often with artists, so I don't want to underplay how, first of all, difficult this exercise is, and then how frustrating at times it can be to feel like the freedom that you have in the studio might not be exactly the same when it comes to presenting to the public. Um, so I was having this conversation not too long ago with this fabulous artist who's primarily a painter, but she also works a bit in 3D and she's, it, this has evolved, for instance, in collaborations with some sort of boutique home decor brands, like doing plates with them and things like that. And for, for a period of time, she did a lot of dogs, which as you will know by this point of the podcast, I thought was were amazing. But um, but there's this there's this um, funny thing in the art world where forever we've ra- we've ranked different types of art, and so we thought that you know that painting historical pictures or portraits of people was at the high end, and painting animals or God forbid objects was at the low end. Um, I obviously think mm. that's a whole lot of BS, pardon my French. But yeah, she, she said to me, oh, I don't want to be known as the dog lady. <laughs> and then I think, I think something really clicked in her practice where she realized, wait a minute, this creates opportunities for me where these brands are approaching me and these high-end galleries are approaching me and I'm going to art fairs. So actually living in this niche at this point in time in my career, because I'm not just that, I also paint people, but taking people along on the journey where when she was ready to do a different subject, she then went to a whole series of portraits. Well, her style was so clear and her audience was so into the work that she did that that transition was actually relatively easy. Mm. So 
for you, it's finding, okay, what subject, theme, medium am, am I working in at the minute? And how can I communicate that? Because actually that will create a lot of opportunities for you of people who have a super clear idea of what you are and therefore how they can work with you. So let's let's take that a bit further then. So let's say an artist has really understood, you know, which corner of the art world they, they feel they belong. They've answered those great questions, you know, who they are as a person, who they are as an artist, what they sell and what value does their work provide? What sort of basic marketing advice then should that artist do what are the basic you know do's and i'm sure you've seen some great successes but also disasters you know, don't do that can you share just a couple of nuggets um for some of our listeners that you know they feel sure of what they're doing but they don't know how to take that to the next step of actually getting that message out there i mean you could have me for a whole other hour on this topic there's there's so much to unpack i think one of the things is so many artists come to come to me with questions like, should I be doing reels on Instagram or mm. should I be using hashtags or how can I do a link in my bio? And all these questions are great, but all of these are sort of nitty gritty tactics. And when you think about the art of war, you don't win a war on tactics, you win a war on strategy. So the important strategy is really understanding what your brand is, understanding what your audience is, which is really important to then figuring out what it, how you can interact with them, what they want to buy. That's super important and how you can easily sell that to them. Uh, when it comes to do's and don'ts, let me think. Okay. The first one, which we talked about briefly is don't feel like you need to be on every platform because that's not the case. So I'd say your must-haves are a professional website. And if you're any doubt about that, then the podcast has a brilliant episode on websites. So just listen to that. <laughs> and then feel free to come to us at Parker Harris because we have a, you know, we have a great mentoring programs and one-to-one sessions dedicated to actually doing an audit of your website then I think it's a good idea to have an email newsletter. And the reason why that is, is because as you certainly know, platforms like Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or TikTok all have their own algorithm, which means that just because somebody's following you doesn't mean they'll be seeing your posts. Mm. So actually finding a way to encourage people to sign up to your newsletter whether it's to get exclusive access, maybe you might release your new paintings or your new works on the website early on for the newsletter people, or they might get some VIP invites to your private views, you know, just a little incentive to encourage people to do that. Then it's a really good idea because those contacts are going to be yours to keep. If someday, God forbid, Instagram decides to disable your account or you lose your password, then that audience isn't yours to keep in touch with. Mm. So definitely a website. And I encourage you to have a newsletter. And then, you know, one, two social media platforms to start with. 
I, I have a good friend and colleague called Sergio Gomez, who is a artist and curator based in Chicago. And he uses a metaphor, which I really like, which is with social media and online marketing, it's like playing a monopoly. So when you hit a street, you can either put a hotel there or you can put a house And a hotel means it's bigger. It's a bigger investment for you. You're going to get more out of it, but it's also a lot of, you know, time and money basically. Uh, And a house is, you know, it's a small, you're there. There's a small, there's a small little house, you know, so, but people aren't going to pay you as much when they hit that um, particular spot of the monopoly board. So it's the same with social media. I'd say your hotels, the places where you really invest in, Instagram is a good call. And then if you want another platform, then have a little think about who your audience is. If you're an illustrator who does things that, you know, 18 to 25 year olds love, then by all means, start a TikTok. Mm. But if actually you're trying to reach more uh, corporate clients or, you know, your, your typical buyer is in a different age bracket then why not LinkedIn? That could be the place for you. But really keeping the platforms that you're investing a lot of time in limited. And then if you want, you can put houses on a few other platforms, but really you're just reposting the same stuff from Instagram and that's fine. Because at the end of the day, online marketing is a means to an end. And the end goal is for you to be in the studio making fantastic works and for people to actually see them and interact with them. Mm. So it's not, it's not a means in itself where at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you have 500 followers or 10,000 followers. Obviously, the more followers you have, the easier it gets to get qualitative eyeballs it is a numbers game and we can go into that. But if you have 500 followers that are super active, that are subscribed to your newsletter, that sign up to your events, then that's all you need, my friend. That's fantastic. I think Tom and I, we've, we've talked a lot about this, about the, the pressure that you have to be everywhere. And actually, it's sometimes it's a lot better to say one thing a lot clearer than saying multiple things in a lot very watered down, uh, weakened way. Mm. I think that sort of encompasses what you're saying. And Maureen, you've given us so much time already. I know you're very busy and you're going to have to uh, disappear soon. Uh, but before you go, can you tell us a little bit more about this Parker Harris mental program? Because I'm sure there'll be plenty of artists out there that would like to find out more about it because it might be right for them. So you know, this is your elevator pitch. What is it? Why would an artist consider you know, co- contacting you at Parker Harris and asking you to help them on their artistic journey? Yeah, of course. So... Parker Harris have been operating in the art world for 35 years and we really care about sharing that experience in practical ways for artists to apply in their careers. So the art ladder is an artist's roadmap to success. Whatever success looks for them, there's no one size fits all. Um, So there's three different levels to the program on a very basic level. They are monthly webinars with art professionals. So gallerists, curators, collectors, critics, who are there to share their point of view 
their side of things and how artists can best interact with them. So if you're wondering how to get noticed by a gallery, how to approach a curator, what makes a good portfolio, then that's a resource that you can get. And then on level two, they also get um, surgery sessions monthly with us. So that's myself and then Emma and Penny, the co-founders of Parker Harris. And we help artists on all sorts of topics, not only online marketing, but also organizing your exhibitions, planning your year. We've just done a session about funding sources, which opened a lot of artists' eyes to how to do a public funding application, how to approach a corporate sponsor. So that's The Art Ladder, which you can find at theartladder.com. You can say hi to us on social media. Um, So we're Parker Harris Co. on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you know, we just wake up in the morning to try and share some beautiful art, but also help artists do more of what they love and find success as a professional artist. So we'd love to see you there. Oh, amazing. Thanks so much. I mean, I love hearing your kind of underlying ethos about what you guys do. It's um, it's just wonderful and fantastic and obviously an amazing resource for artists. So I will definitely be taking a deeper dive into everything that you guys have on offer. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing all of your knowledge uh, and your time with us. We really appreciate it a lot. Oh, thanks, guys. I was super, super excited to be invited to this podcast, as I've told you both. I've been a listener for a while now, so super pleased that you two reached out. And obviously, we will stay in touch to talk about all things contemporary art and more. Absolutely. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And thank you so much for all your reviews and ratings, both on our website and on Apple Podcasts and all the other podcast providers, because they really do help keep the podcast visible and, of course, free for us all. And finally, you can catch up with everything we've discussed during this episode. We'll put all the information about Parker Harris and the Art Ladder on there and all our previous episodes, of course, on our website, which is askanartistpodcast.com. Search Press is the leading supplier of arts and crafts books in the UK. They publish beautiful and practical books, and I do own plenty myself. And even more exciting is that I'm currently working with them on a book of my own. They are fantastic books. They're designed to delight and instruct artists and crafters of all skill levels the world over. For full details, visit searchpress.com or just take a look on the show notes of our website.